politics. Long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Warndorf, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I am joined by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katkin. Ken, welcome to this midweek supporter show. How are you doing? Good. It's great to be back. Yeah, I mean, we I think we just have the best supporter shows that exist, Ken. I mean, not that I'm biased or anything, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you know we had this we had this great idea from listeners look we we want we want you guys to go through the constitution and that's what we've been doing and we made it through the main text of the constitution for those of you uh, who listen each week and what we have moved on to in the last couple of episodes is is we talked about the overriding issue of you know how do we get to amendments why do the amendments look the way they do and most recently we've made it to the first amendment And we've actually made it through both the establishment and the free exercise portions of the First Amendment. And so what we're going to start moving on to, it's it's not a big deal. I mean, there's not a lot of jurisprudence on this one. Yeah, freedom of speech. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, there, there's nothing there. I mean, that's a, we'll have that done in ten minutes. And uh, he, he's. By the way, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> if Ken's cackling in the background is not any indication of that. Uh, this is a huge area that has changed over time. And uh, and uh, I'll be honest. I, I don't often admit this out loud uh, to listeners, but I have spent probably too much time the last couple of weeks, kind of trying to figure out what's the best way <laughs> to you know to really get at freedom of speech. And this is one. I'm I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. This this is one of the times where I am really happy that you're my co-host because <laughs> even if I screw up, I know that, like this. I mean, you're a con law professor. This is your area. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I teach First Amendment for one whole semester, so it'll be quite a challenge for us to do it in a couple of half-hour blocks. But yeah, um, exactly. So your you know your 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 problem is going to be you know putting it down. My anyway, but yeah, it's always a lot of fun. Uh, So what we're always going to do is we always going to start the show off taking a look and reading uh, that portion of the Constitution, uh, and then kind of going through and talking about that uh, uh, provision. So. The First Amendment of the Constitution, once again, says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so, of course, what we're focusing on this particular uh, bonus show is going to be that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. And you know, one of the things that makes our system a little bit different is we actually do not only have a, that speech clause, but right after it, we have that press clause. And most other Western democracies, they don't actually have an additional press clause. It's all just wrapped up in, in their speech clause. So we actually break it out into, into two parts. And that's something we can talk a little bit more about uh, uh, later on. But, you know, that phrase there, you know, Congress will make no law establishing uh, uh, or excuse me, abridging the freedom of speech. I mean, it it seems pretty much straightforward, right? That There couldn't be anything else you could do with that. Uh, But the language, despite being really bold, uh, kind of you might even think of it as maybe being a complete shield against government actions that restrict any of those aspects 
uh, of expression, that hasn't really held up the way you might think. The Supreme Court has answered no. It's not just a complete shield. As a matter of fact, it has ruled that certain kinds of speech and certain kinds of expressions, again, whether communicated verbally or in print or by actions, can be restricted depending on their possible effects. And so that's led to a lot of cases that deal with their effects. Now, the other thing we oftentimes have talked about in these bonus shows, Ken, has been that early Congresses haven't always taken up these issues. But in the, in the case of freedom of speech, we actually get one of the most restrictive laws passed by Congress really early, and that's the Sedition Act in 1798. It's pretty long. I won't read the whole thing. But it outlines that, quote, if any person shall write, print, utter, publish, or shall cause to procure to be written, printed, uttered, or published, <laughs> or shall knowingly and willingly assist or aid in writing, printing, uttering, or publishing any false, scandalous, malicious writing or writings against the government of the United States, or either House of Congress of the United States, or the President of the United States with the intent to defame that said government. Uh, it then goes on to say that they can be uh, uh, punished by fine and imprisonment. Wow. I mean, you know, like today we would just think of that as being this potentially huge overreach. But of course, that act never goes up before the Supreme Court. It ends up expiring in 1801 without any really significant court challenges. And, and so it's, it, it's kind of left this, it left this question of, well, okay, you know, if you have a First Amendment, wouldn't the Sedition Act of 1789 have to be, you know, unconstitutional? And so really instead, the court doesn't a answer that question. And so for the next 60 years or so, the United States kind of enjoys some relative tranquility, except for the War of 1812. We'll, we'll just kind of pass over that for a second. Um, during the Civil War, uh, Abraham Lincoln takes steps to suppress treacherous behavior. But really, the court's not going to take this up again until you get to the era of World War One, when you start dealing with things uh, like the draft and sending people to war. And what we see is the court actually takes a pretty... Uh, sizable view of the Supreme, excuse me, of, of Congress being able to label a lot of actions as unconstitutional. You get the Holmes early on with the clear and present danger test. You get the bad tendency test. There's all these kind of tests that emerge. But for the most part, they generally, until you get to the 80s, end up largely uh, supporting the actions of government, meaning that individuals can be uh, uh, penalized for the things that they, they say and they do, even though, again, that kind of plain reading of it, uh, again, you know, Justice Holmes' uh, opinion about that clear and present danger test, although that test is not the one that's still used today, ends up setting up the way we think about it, that, that the outcome of speech, the evils, if you will, of speech can be penalized. And I think that's sometimes kind of a surprise to many students or listeners, if you really haven't thought about it for the first time. Uh, and, and again, and I didn't even mention that that, that case is a Schneck versus the United States. So, you know, you know, for me, Ken, I think a lot of times students are a bit surprised to see that. How do you kind of approach that? 
Yeah, well, it's the 60s, uh, I think, more than the 80s. And there are already some free speech wins as early as the 20s. But I, I'll start all the way at the beginning like you did. Um, I, I think when you, I think it was great that you started with the, the Sedition Act. And that was actually one of two partner acts. There's the Alien, Alien and Sedition Incident, Act. Yep. Yeah. And that's basically like the Sedition Act. The penalties are 10 times as heavy if the speaker is French. And uh, um, so they, they just Those applied. French, the yeah, listen, the French yeah. have always been screwing <laughs> yeah. things up. Yes. Man. Just, but the, um, I think the... the <laughs> <laughs> Framers' conception of freedom of speech was very different from ours, and also um, the judicial review hadn't been so well established yet at that time. The, the Sedition Act controversy actually arises before Marbury versus Madison, which is the, the first case um, where the Supreme Court held that the Supreme Court has the power to find a federal law unconstitutional. So that hadn't happened yet. So that's part of the reason I think the Sedition Act couldn't get reviewed in the Supreme Court. But but it's also because of the framers' conception of freedom of speech, because there their conception was extremely focused on the concept of prior restraint, that the freedom of speech meant the right um, to be allowed to speak and not prevented from speaking. Um, but in our modern thinking, that goes hand in hand with, well, if you've got freedom of speech, then not only should you be allowed to speak, but also you shouldn't be thrown in prison for what you just said. Um, but the framers did not have that part of it in their formula. They, they didn't think there was any problem at all with throwing people in prison for what they just said. They, they, they thought that the, the problem was in uh, uh, censoring them ahead of time before they, they could say it. So, so, so prior restraints were very, very uh, bad things for the framers subsequent restraints or subsequent punishment, they thought that's that's fine. And and I think I, the, I don't want to interrupt you completely, but, you know, when you heard kind of hear that term, I'm very familiar with prior restraint, but that's something that was very much part of the British system. Right. Yeah. And so that's a response. And again, just to be clear for listeners, that's a response to the British system that basically said, you need to make sure that your papers and what you're doing are all getting permission from kind of it was it was still emergent if it's the crown or parliament. This, that's kind of an era of uh, of change during the American Revolution under uh, uh, George. But wherever you're vesting it, effectively, that government has the right to kind of put a check on. Yes, you may speak, and that's what really prior restraint is. And, and there's yeah. a bunch of it in the the uh, the jurisprudence of the British system, and they're responding to that just to kind of right. put that because again, not everybody might recognize like well, where does that come from? Like well, that's yeah. never happening. I say, well, that's, that's a British thing. British thing, but and it's important you mention the king because this is all this is all wrapped up in the fight against royalism. Mm -hmm. So because in 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 Britain and and in the colonial period here, if you had a, a newspaper, if you were a publisher of some sort, you, you'd have to get a license from the 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 censor. The censor was literally the name of the job. The government has a censor. You <laughs> yep. got to go to the censor and and show him what you're going to print that day, and he's got to read it. And if he if he likes it, he'll give you the license, and you can print that day. And if he doesn't like what he reads, then he won't give you the license and then and then you can't print it. And so the the framers thought that um you know that the the censors would censor uh, speech because it was critical of the crown or it put the crown into bad repute or it just said something that the king didn't want said and 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 they thought that that was a, a an intolerable act basically that's one of the intolerable acts in the de declaration they thought people should be allowed to speak without the the king stopping them but the reason they didn't think the same way about um, subsequent punishments is because that's a jury proceeding and so they thought you know if if people speak and then they say things that, you know, the general public thinks should be illegal. 
um, then fine, bring him in front of a jury. The general public can throw him in jail, but that but that wouldn't be um, the king throwing them in jail. So they were much more concerned about censorship of popular anti-government speech than censorship of um, unpopular speech. They really didn't have a problem with censorship of unpopular speech, um, and so so that 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 seems so weird to the modern ear because we think of the First Amendment primarily as protecting unpopular speech. Now, in fact, nobody tries to prohibit. Popular yeah. speech now. Why would anybody prohibit popular speech? But <laughs> but 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 back then, it's because the popular speech might have been against the king. So that's why the king would prohibit it. And that's what they were trying to protect. And they were trying to get any kind of question about legality of speech should be gotten put it in front of a jury. Don't don't let a government censor decide that ahead of time. So that's also why um, with the sedition acts, there was a pretty live debate uh, about. Um, whether they were constitutional or not. So uh, John Adams was certainly aware of the First Amendment when he signed the Sedition Acts into law, um, but he did make the argument that they were consistent with the First Amendment because um, there was no censor that was stopping anyone from speaking, that anyone could say anything, including seditious stuff. It's just after they said it, then they'd be arrested and, and put in front of a jury. <laughs> and if the jury wanted to send them to prison, then the jury would send them to prison. But that wouldn't be just based on a government censor telling them that they couldn't publish. So, so that's... That was sort of Adams's defense of it. Now, it's also true, though, that right in that time, uh, it was controversial. And um, Jefferson, who was Adams's vice president, but this is before we had the 12th Amendment. So back then, the vice president meant the guy who lost the presidential race to the president. It so wasn't awkward not, at all. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you can just exactly. re, you can read the do, the documents yeah. of uh, both men uh, uh, who just hated every second hated, of it. Hated now, each other. I, I will say right there, though, uh, Ken, before we get to kind of the awkwardness uh, of the uh, difference between the president and the vice president taking radically different positions yeah. on the uh, uh, Sedition Act, that this is actually going to be the point where we end our preview. So if you, if you want to know more about what happens in the First Amendment, you want to hear the rest of what Ken's going to be telling us about the difference between Adams and Jefferson and more, that means I'm going to need to ask you to head to patreon.com slash politics, guys, and purchase the full version of this show. So I'm so happy that you're here for the preview, uh, but it is time to be ending on that and to head you to patreon.com slash politics, guys. Now, not only do you get cool things like the rest of this show, you get all of Ken and my shows when they come to the uh, Constitution and more. Don't forget, of course, our other hosts break away from that kind of weekly what's going on in the news to go to longer consideration items. Lots of really cool things that we do. So I know that Jay and Mike and May are doing some really cool things on their, uh, on their supporters' uh, exclusive shows as well. And I'd love for you to be a part of that. Now, keep in mind, though, if you head to patreon.com slash politics, guys, you're not just going to find support for, hey, you get to listen to the show. You also get it without ads. I don't know about you. Uh, but in the era of streaming, I have definitely become the person who hates stopping for ads. You know, I mean, Paramount Plus is wonderful until there's going to be some ads going on. It's the same way with this. You're going to get ad free for everything that happens. Uh, so again, head to patreon.com slash politics, guys. You can see all our different levels of support. It also includes cool things like our Discord group. Uh, we have active conversations going on there and elsewhere. So again, head to patreon.com slash politics, guys. At least become that minimum $5 supporter, and you're going to be getting access to this full show, which is a heck of a lot longer than our little preview. You know, it's just a couple of minutes. I'd love for you to stick around for the whole show. 
So again, if you don't want to head to patreon.com slash politics, guys, there's a variety of other ways you can support the show. We're on Venmo where we're at politics, guys. You can also support the show through PayPal. All of those links are in the show notes. So scroll down right now, unlock all that coolness, or if you want to uh, open up the browser of your choice and head to politicsguys.com slash support for all the different ways you can support the show. Now, if you'd like to get the full version of our supporters exclusive show, but you're just not in that position financially to support the podcast at this point, not a problem at all. Just shoot an email to mail at politicsguys.com and we can get you set up. Now, whether you're a supporter or not, it would really be appreciated if you can rate, subscribe or whatever app podcast app you use. And again, don't forget to share these episodes on social media. Don't forget, if you want to, you can always at me. I'm at Trey Orndorff. If you want to uh, open up a conversation or anything else with myself, I'd love to do it. So if you've got any other kinds of questions or comments, don't forget, you can email us at mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook and X. You can see all of those links in the show notes. Our amazing executive producers are the, of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Marino, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, Don Oglesby. We'll be back with our full weekend episode next Saturday. I hope you'll join us then.